Hey gang, before we get into it, this might seem like common sense to me, but you never know. This Better Call Saul special podcast we're recording will have spoilers for both Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. Okay. Oh, wow. Enjoy the show. Back in 2015, on a website that no one really read, I wrote that Better Call Saul was a worthy follow-up to Breaking Bad, and could Bob Odenkirk, an excellent comedy writer and actor, be a strong enough lead for his own semi-serious show? Hell yes, he can. There was natural skepticism when Better Call Saul was first announced. It was well-received as a quirky legal drama during its first season, but I don't think anyone anticipated turning into the amazing program it has become over the last seven years. Perhaps the most amazing thing about the final episodes of Better Call Saul was how little they relied on the meth-fueled cartel action that had propelled so much of the action on both this show and Breaking Bad. These episodes told a black-and-white tale of a man on the lam who just couldn't help but slip back into his old ways. Instead of just giving us the side tales of Breaking Bad, they put the perfect colorless bow on the story of the extremely colorful Saul Goodman. Kudos to Peter Gould, Vince Gilligan, Bob Odenkirk, Ray Seahorn, Jonathan Banks, and everyone who made Better Call Saul the stunning show that it was. It's over, and I, I'm I, I'm just so bummed about it, but they also, I felt like they couldn't have ended it more perfectly, Ryan. I, I didn't think that Breaking Bad would ever be topped. In my opinion, Breaking Bad is the best TV show of all, of all time, and <laughs> Better Call Saul gives it a legitimate run for its money. Like, I, if you asked me to pick between the two, I would just jump off a cliff somewhere. Like I can't, I can't, I can't do it. It's it's really difficult. And the work that Bob Odenkirk did, Ray Seahorn, noted Virginia native, Ray Seahorn, oh, wow. Norfolk, Virginia. Um, yeah, I mean the work they all did is just outstanding. Um, and Vince Gilligan, also a Richmond, Virginia native. Um, he 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 was terrific. Peter Gould, the the writing for the entire series was excellent and i gotta be honest like after watching the first season i was like eh, i don't know if i'm feeling this one totally quite yet but it was just me trying to figure out the vibe me trying well, i to, think they were figuring you know, out the vibe too i don't think they had gotten yeah. it down at that point and figured out what their strength a lot of shows go through that on their first season but the the problem with this first season is this was such a highly anticipated show coming off of Breaking Bad and one that really had to figure out its style in comparison to Breaking Bad because Breaking Bad is all about the intensity. It's all about this dark humor and it is about these moral quandaries. And how does Jimmy McGill's tale compare to something like Walter White going into the meth business? And... Yeah, it's also that decision to start at the beginning, to start before Saul Goodman, because it easily could have been a show just about a sleazy lawyer. And it's there's so many brave decisions looking back at this show that I'm so impressed with. And I think the biggest one is to go with Jimmy, an actual heart and soul character over just slick back or, you know, flopped over trying to get rid of that uh that bald spot Saul Goodman yeah they created Jimmy Jimmy didn't exist in Breaking Bad Jimmy was like a brand new creation and he was essentially a new character played 
by kind of the same person who played Better Call Saul. Yeah. And well, the the uh, thing about that was like he mentions the line, right? He says that his name's actually Jimmy McGill. He uses Saul Goodman because people like the sound of a Jewish lawyer, right? Like, right, right. He says that, but you never see Jimmy. You never see Jimmy at at all during Breaking Bad. You only see Saul Goodman. And there was a really fascinating comment in the Better Call Saul Insider podcast on the last episode where Bob Odenkirk argued that he played four versions of the character. There was yes. Jimmy McGill, Saul Goodman, Gene, and then there was James McGill at the end, which is essentially when he's completed his, I don't want to call it a redemption arc because he doesn't totally redeem himself, but when he completes his arc and he comes a little back more towards the light and it actually accepts some personal responsibility in, you know, oddly has uh, Chuck Hare at the end, too. He looks more like his brother at the end than he ever did during the show. But right. the, the fact that Odenkirk could play all four of these guys in one season, one season of the show, he played all four versions of this character and convincingly played that. It's just what in a, a stunning performance from Bob Odenkirk. And Victor with a K. Can't forget about Victor... Uh... Victor, where was the last name? Victor, uh, I'm forgetting their last name. Oh, yeah, I, I forgot it. But, you know, it's, yeah. you know, the, the con man stuff. I'm going to miss that, I think, the most. Just that uh, that idea of just him trying to get over in the world just using his words. Like, I'm going to miss that kind of stuff so much. Sinclair. That's what it was. Victor Sinclair. Um, yeah, no, I mean, his ability to play literally four, and if you're counting Victor, five different characters is insane. And he just... I think what I loved the one of the most interesting things I saw from the entire series was, and if we haven't said it already, uh, big time spoilers. Uh, <laughs> it was yes, I think you should assume it's all spoilers. There's no yes. non-spoiler talk on this. It's not going to happen. Forget about it. Yeah, um, but the episode where Kim and like she left him. And you just see him standing in the kitchen of the apartment, just like totally lost. Like he was, he didn't know what to do. And then it immediately cut to him in the Breaking Bad timeline as Saul. Like at that point, Jimmy was dead. Then he was totally full on Saul. And to see him go from, you literally watched him go from Jimmy immediately to Saul. And you're like, oh my God. You know, it's like you, it's funny because I feel like when a, a lot of people, first started watching Better Call Saul, they were hoping it was going to be all Saul all the time. And then when we finally got to see him literally become Saul in the show, it was heartbreaking because we fell in love with Jimmy so much. It's actually a tragic feeling when they have the breakup of Kim and Jimmy, because obviously that's a tragic scene. But then they do this flash forward to his time as Saul Goodman waking up in a bed with some floozy and having his signature comb over and living in his just glitzy palatial house. And (laughs) it's sad. Like you actually feel bad for him when you see that, like he's got everything, but he's got nothing. The entire Saul persona was one gigantic coping mechanism of not having ever earned the respect of his brother, Chuck um, losing the love of his life in Kim. And it just felt like, it just felt like the entire time he was Saul. Now, like now, whenever I watch Breaking Bad, 
it's going to change everything because I'm going to know like why he's doing what he's doing. You know, I'm going to have a a whole different sense of, of his purpose, like at least his internal purpose. It's a character that you thought of as a clown of sorts, as just kind of this uh, comedic foil to Walter White and Jesse Pinkman, right? Yeah. And and Mike Ehrmantraut. And he's so much more than that. And it completely changes it. It's like, I, I can't imagine any other show taking what is like essentially a B-list character for the show and making them into such a, a, an amazing story where you actually feel for that person. It completely changes how you viewed that person. Like, I guess the closest thing I can think of is fucking Frasier or something, right? Where yeah. <laughs> Frasier, <laughs> Frasier leaves cheers. And then you find out, Oh, he's got a, he's got a slobby dad for his snobby persona. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it, I felt, I felt for the characters in Breaking Bad, but I feel like I felt for the characters in this show even more. Like when something bad happened to Jimmy, I was just heartbroken. And the same thing for Kim. Um, like when Kim got thrown into the the, the quote unquote cornfield, as they called it, into a doc review. Um, it's like seeing that and seeing her just miserable made me miserable. And seeing them seeing their triumphant moments in their lives that made me feel the same. Um, even if it was like shady stuff that they were doing, like when, like when Jimmy, uh, got, (laughs) when he was, they were basically prank calling the, uh, I can't remember the name of the lady, but the lady who was trying to basically incarcerate, um, Huel. And he was acting like he was some sort of priest at some Louisiana Southern Baptist church somewhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, Huel's done so much for our community. He's just <laughs> the best. Yeah, the, I think it was whoever the DA was at that point, the uh, district attorney. And, oh, my God, the, the the schemes, the scams, that's what I'm going to miss the most. Like, I I, I almost... Uh, who was his buddy from... Was it the first season? Who... The one he got the pinky ring from. Oh, uh, Marco? I'm... Marco, Marco, Marco. Yes. like I miss Marco. Marco was such a, a great like a, a companion to him. But that's the first person he really loses on the show is he loses yeah. Marco and then he loses his brother and then it just gets worse and worse from there. And I, all those deaths really stick with you in a way that the Breaking Bad ones don't because the Breaking Bad deaths are, are just like. They they kind of sicken you like they kind you're just disgusted with Walt for a lot of those like yeah. I'm specifically thinking of James, uh, uh, Breaking Bad spoilers in this too FYI I, I think one would assume that but you know let's just make that clear so on that note Walt and his he doesn't murder Jane but he might as well have and that's really such a, a moment where you just feel disgusted at Walt and his actions you feel bad for Jane but you you're more disgusted at Walt and you feel the right. same way when you know with every other death pretty much in the series with the exception of maybe Gus who clearly brought that on himself and I have more to say on that later but man you know, the, the those deaths, you pissed at Walt. You're just disgusted with the show. And here it's just tragic. You just feel bummed about it. Like, when, oh my God, when Chuck dies, and Chuck was, you know, a bastard of a character. Yes, he treated he Jimmy like shit. But when Chuck dies, 
you're just you feel terrible for him and you just know this is tragic because chuck basically killed himself and jimmy basically drove him to it and it's just a tragedy all around and you know compare that to hank dying in the desert and basically cursing walt's name yeah i mean i was about to say i feel like chuck and howard had almost identical like like kind of um arcs because you were meant to hate both of them. Like there were times where you liked them or they like, there were times where you're like, is this redemption? And then you'd just go right back to hating them. Like, like for example, when Howard offered um, Jimmy a job straight up at HHM and Jimmy was just like, nah, go fuck yourself. I don't want that. And then you're just like, what the hell? And then Howard, you just kind of went back to not liking Howard because Jimmy didn't like him. And, but then and it was the same thing with Chuck. H- Howard and Chuck were both 100% right about Jimmy. Like Chuck said, he predicted all of the, all these things would happen if Jimmy became a lawyer. Oh yeah, Chuck 100% predicted it. But the difference between the two is Chuck makes Saul Goodman. Chuck could have yeah. given Jimmy some sympathy, but instead he just felt jealousy for yes. his parents treasuring Jimmy over him because Chuck... He's kind of a stick-in-the-mud bastard at the end of the day. That's who he is. So Chuck is responsible for Jimmy. That's just a toxic relationship between the two. Howard is an unfortunate bystander. Yes, he is. Yeah. And he really, you know, I felt bad for Howard even before he got shot in the head by Lalo, which is still a shocking thing to say. But when Jimmy's throwing bowling balls at his car, I'm sitting there like, Jimmy, why are you doing this? Yeah, that was weird. Giving him prostitutes, uh, having prostitutes go into a restaurant and harass him in front of his his buddy Cliff Maine. Like, what are you doing here, Jimmy? That was hilarious. I have to admit, like, when he was doing those things, I couldn't say that I didn't find them wildly entertaining. But, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, Chuck and Howard were both characters that were designed to be hated. And then you ended up like in the grand scheme, you realize, wow, I should not have hated that person. And I'm very sad that they're gone. You know, I actually disagree on, I I think Chuck, I, I kind of still hated Chuck at the end. Cause I think Chuck was always a dick to his brother that he didn't need to be. But I agree with your overall point that they weren't quite the villains that they were made out to be because the yes. show is from yeah, Jimmy's that's perspective. But, uh, you know, I, I still think of Chuck as a, a real bastard after the, the second watch through for me. Like, I really was like, God damn, that Chuck is a bastard. He yeah. really turns the screws. But he is right. He is 100% right about Jimmy. And that's what Jimmy realizes at the end. I, I really love the way in the finale where, and this again, something that Peter Gould said, you know, he's visited by the ghost of Christmas past, present and future, where they have the flashbacks with Mike, Walt and Chuck, where he, you know, he brings up the time machine question with those guys. And, uh, turns out Chuck was reading the time machine. Right. And it's, these are the guys that, you know, his other males essentially that formed his life and, his time during Breaking Bad and everything and his time as Saul Goodman, you got the no-nonsense Mike and actually Walt to a degree. None of them want to play the game and he's almost there with Chuck. You can almost have this conversation with Chuck, but there's always just that barrier between the two. But he does realize ultimately Chuck is right and that's why at the end he he looks more like his brother and he takes responsibility for his actions like his brother would have wanted him to. Yeah, and like I, I think... I think one of the things that stuck with me was when 
they were in court in that last episode and he mentions Chuck and then it shows like the exit sign with it has the buzzing with the buzzing it it like I don't think this was their intention but like the way I looked at it I was just like wow he like it's it's like he is has become Chuck in this moment in a way you know what I mean like it just I think their intention was that he's in the room he was there but it might have also been that he's become Chuck in this moment but I I think it's you know it's reminding you of Chuck and specifically that was the moment where Jimmy broke his brother right yeah with the exit sign and you know when he pointed that out was that the same courtroom uh i don't know i don't know i don't think it was but i don't don't know i think that was a lot more well lit to be honest but i also don't really remember because all the lights were off because chuck couldn't have electricity but then he realized the exit sign has been electrified this whole time yeah i want to say if ray seahorn doesn't win an emmy (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to go insane because she, the performance she had in the second to last episode, like in the Kim, the Kim episode, I, I'm, that's just what I, I can't remember the actual name of it, but I, oh, waterworks is what the name of the episode was. Um, her on that, like shuttle bus was like some of the best acting I will ever see in my life. Um, and like that, that whole, that episode was perhaps the best episode of TV that I've seen. And the only thing that, that even comes close to it is um, the episode of breaking bad where um, Hank dies. I mean, those two episodes are just unbelievable works of art. And um, like just going back to the work that she did as Kim. I mean, she, they didn't anticipate Kim being this important of a character, but like, she was just such an interesting piece to this puzzle. And it just became so, such a, such a bigger, more important story than I think they intended. And it just worked out so beautifully. And that, well, that's what helped this become such a tragedy when yeah. it helped this be have so much heart is Kim, because without Kim, this is just the story of, uh, uh, you know, essentially Jimmy and his brother and how never getting his brother's love caused him to become uh, one of the, the greasiest, most slippery lawyers of all time. But instead it becomes a combination of things you know, it's his brother losing his brother was an important factor. Don't get me wrong, but losing Kim is what made him Saul Goodman. Right. With Kim, he still would have been. And that just made it like so much more impactful. And that's why those episodes, like the one with Lalo in their apartment are so tense where you're, cause you're worried about Kim. Kim yes. became the MVP. She is the co-lead of the show. And it's fascinating to me that essentially the show starts with Mike Ehrmantraut being the co-lead. I mean, you have that whole Mike Ehrmantraut episode early on about his adventures in uh, fake Philadelphia. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I only I only noticed that because I live in Philadelphia. So I know this stuff. But um, Mike Ehrmantraut, and you know, and by the way, we, we fully realized over this last episode that Mike Ehrmantraut probably died with the Phillies still being world champions and not having lost to the Yankees. So, you know, if you're going to go out, you're going to go out on top like that. That's the time to do it. Yeah. It's the time to do it. But it it starts out essentially with Jimmy and Mike as your co-leads. And then this ends with Jimmy and Kim for a reason, because it's all about Jimmy and Kim and their relationship and, and ending with them smoking ciggies like they did 
except in jail this time is just such an amazing poetic note to end it on. And that scene. Oh, that scene is just perfection. It, it was, yeah. It, I mean, just to call back to the very first episode when they were having the smoke in the parking garage. And like, I love how they, the only color in it was just the cigarette. Yeah, the and flame that, and the cigarette, yeah. Yeah, those are the only hints of, of color. And, like, I remember in the lead-up to the end, I was just like, is the color going to come back? Like, what are they going to do? What kind of trick are they going to play here? And I'm so happy they did it like that because it's just like the spark is the only thing that's, like, in Jimmy's life now. The the spark, the memory of what he had with Kim, like, and how he'll forever cherish his time with her. Like, that's kind of how I envisioned that. Like, because now he's just in such a colorless world, just being in prison. Um, and who, who like, it's it was kind of established that Jimmy's going to do quite well in, in prison. Like, I love that. That was such a good touch because you're not sitting there worried like, oh, is he going to get stabbed tomorrow? Is he going to get yeah. shivved? No, like that prison bus scene where they all start going better call Saul is so good this like i am spartacus call for these prisoners on the bus like they love him he's making bread in the prison they all look up to him they all call him Saul, even though he wants to be james mcgill at this point and no they're calling him Saul because that's who he is and i just love that he's the most popular guy in prison so even though he's you know he's down he ain't out i will say i love the bus scene I do think the chant was a little much <laughs> like that just like perfectly, you know, like, like that would never happen. But again, it is TVs and it's fiction, but how do you know um, you've been a lot of prison buses, buses, my friend. There's a lot of things you don't know about me, Steve. Oh, damn. Okay. <laughs> we got the inside track right here. Listen, yeah. Prisoners love to piss off cops. And if those guys are all going in for life, who cares? Piss them off. Yeah, really. But I, to me, the part that really struck was when he was making the bread. And it was like, and that was, it served as a double entendre because it was like um, a call back to his days working at Cinnabon. And it's like when he was working at Cinnabon, he was basically in the same exact spot he was in in jail, you know, like colorless, just like he wasn't living life. But like, it just seemed so different when he got called to speak to Kim, his quote unquote lawyer. Um, They're like, Saul, you're your lawyer's here and he's like walking out and he's like fist bumping, you know, his, his fellow inmate coworkers and they truly respect him. And I was glad to see that. Um, and I was glad that it was established that he will be just fine in prison and like just, just seeing her. Um, and the fact that they got to share that last cigarette was, was really awesome. And then the, the double, the double guns was the finger guns. That was that made me tear up quite a bit. I got to admit. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. And it was good to also end because one of the things when we see Kim in the, I'm going to use air quotes here that you can't see, but modern day, essentially the the present tense is she's down and out. She just is, she's working at a sprinkler company in Florida. She's having sex with the guy who goes, yep. She's not even Kim. Like she doesn't even express anything. Like she was, that's what made her so great as a character during the normal, like during the better call Saul era was how she was so expressive and she like had opinions and she, she made decisions and things like that. And she just doesn't do any of that in the, quote unquote modern day like now she's you know complimenting people's colors and their deviled eggs and that's yeah. pretty much her life right there and to see her at the end 
get dressed up again. She's still a member of the bar, apparently. Like, you can tell, like, her hair's done, right? Like, you can tell she's back on the upswing. She's found herself again now that she was able to clean her soul. And this is what this is. these last few episodes are all about, is cleaning your soul. It's about redemption in a way. If you think of it, mm-hmm. you know, Kim and Jimmy are basically in purgatory for their actions, not to get too Catholic on you because, you know, I went to Catholic school. I'm not exactly practicing, <laughs> but it, you know, it, it feels very much like a purgatory situation where they kind of have to cleanse themselves. And Kim, you know, she punishes herself. She takes herself out of law. She moves as far away in the United States as she can pretty much while still staying warm, mind you. And she's just not herself to, to see her back as herself at the end, even though I'm still freaked out by the, uh, the brunette look for her. That's still just a, a strange one to me. I thought she looked but good. I didn't, it was freaking me out. I thought she looked good at the end, but it, Florida Kim with the brunette look was freaking me out a little yeah. bit. Not going to lie, but to see her back on the upswing was one of those things that really, you know, made this such a, a nice, finish to the series and to see her redemption that she got to make her confession and it counted and you know jimmy ended up confessing in his own way that cost him you know about 80 more years in prison and you know it's just it's nice that they went for that redemption arc rather than just paying homage to a show that was already done. You know, the fans will all come out and say, like, I even kind of wanted this is like this parallel breaking bad storyline to see what Saul was up to and Gus and Mike behind the scenes. But you think you want that, but they actually knew what we needed and we needed that arc at the end, that black and white redemption arc. And it was so damn good and better than I could have anticipated it being. I never anticipated it being this good. Like, I, because you know how any spinoff show is going to have a reputation of not being quite as good as the show it was based on. And um, this one just knocked it out of the park. Um, and it just, it, it, it all just fit perfectly. It's, it's going to be tough to, uh, I don't know what, what Peter Gould and Vince Gilligan are doing next, but whatever it is, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be watching it because they are just geniuses at what they do. Um, I, all right. So two questions for you. What is your, what was your favorite part of the season finale or the series finale? And what was your favorite part of the entire series at large? Entire series at large is a a tough one. My favorite part of the, the final episode. I, I really, uh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one too. I mean, I, I love the whole thing. They did a such. I I really like the prison bus scene, the Better Call Saul. But I think the scene you know what? Let where, me let me let me rephrase real fast. Maybe not favorite part, but something that really stuck out to you and and has been you've been thinking about a lot. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my favorite part. I have okay. a favorite. I, I I've thought about it. I have a couple favorite parts, but I think my favorite part is when you know, Jimmy slash whatever the hell he's calling himself these days <laughs> goes in and he's negotiating with the FBI and the DEA and all them. And he is just slipping right back into that saw persona. And he is just getting everything he wants, you know, when uh, Betsy Brandt comes in and he just delivers like, Oh, yeah. they took me into the desert and they put a bag over my, it, it is just so good. Just to, see him fluctuate between the scared gene and the uh, Jimmy and the James. And that whole scene is just so good. And then when he overreaches for his ice cream and 
his, his mint chocolate chip ice cream that he really needs. What was it? Blue Bunny? Only Blue Bunny. Yeah. And they mentioned Kim to see him, you know, to see the facade fall is just so good. That entire scene is, is spectacular. Uh, yeah. I also really enjoyed the Walt flashback just because seeing Brian Cranston back as Walt and slip back into that voice. Like it's nothing was fantastic. He, he was so exactly the same for breaking bad. It was crazy. It's a great scene too, because those are two guys that, you know, Walt making his point about Saul always being this way was yeah. making the point about himself. You know, that's just how it is. But, uh, that was a great scene, but the best scene in the episode, in my opinion, was the, the scene with the, all the federales, if you will. And, it just Jimmy almost getting his way, you know, getting his parole down or getting his prison sentence down to seven years. He'd end up blowing it, but you know what? It was a, a such a great scene to watch. Yeah. And then as a series as a whole, I think I'm still really fond of the two episode arc uh, between when it was a Bagman, And then when he comes back and Lalo's in the apartment, those yeah. are just two of just the most incredible episodes of television right there. I mean, when Mike and Jimmy are in the desert at each other's throats is like, oh, it's so good. And it's, I think, quintessential Mike Ehrman Trout right there. And just seeing, again, when the stakes are down, you're seeing Jimmy at his, you know, his real self. And those are just great episodes in that regard. And that Lalo scene with him and Kim in the apartment and Mike on the cell phone, I don't think it gets better than that. Like there was a whole raid on Lalo's complex with basically special forces units the episode after. And that still didn't compare to this just tension in the apartment, which would end up playing into Howard later on because he knows where the apartment is. He walks right in and he just plugs Howard. Like he's nothing. Yeah. And like the, like that episode with the candle, like the camera work they did in that episode too, like just the camera, the the candle flame like shifting a little bit because the door opened. Like shots like that are what make this show so good. The cinematography is just nuts. Oh, in the Howard episode, right? With the yeah, 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 the yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so good. I mean, I feel that so bad for Howard. And yeah, the cinematography is amazing. How about you? What's your your highlight from the finale and from the series as a whole? So. We were talking about this a little bit in the Slack chat, and like this is, it's, I shouldn't say my favorite part, but I thought about this a lot. Is it was the scene, the flashback with him and Walt um, in like that holding room to be taken away by the disappearer, um, AKA Robert Forrester. And rest uh, in peace. RIP. I remember Walt was, they were talking about their regrets, and Walt was talking about gray matter. And, Jimmy was like, why didn't you get me involved? Like, why didn't you tell me we could have done some sort of class action? We could have done all this stuff. Like we could have, we could have sued them. We could, there were so many things, so many angles we could take. And Walt said, you would have been the last lawyer I would have ever thought I would have ever asked to do that. And that made me think because during the Breaking Bad timeline, if they had their that exact conversation during Breaking Bad, we would have thought, yeah, like, why would you go to Saul? He's a, a sleazy criminal lawyer. You know, you wouldn't want to. He, he would be He's a guy who advertises, you know, on, at 2 a.m. on television and on park on bus benches. Yeah. Like he just he's a terrible lawyer and he's just a sleazeball. But now knowing what we know now about Saul, 
He was so good at what he did. He was an unbelievable lawyer. And I think he could have been, honestly, if he did approach Saul to take action against gray matter, he would have gotten further than any other lawyer would have been able to go. You know, Oh, he would have won him a bunch of money. I Ton have of no money. doubt in my mind because of the Sandpiper case. Like that's what they show with the Sandpiper case is that yep. just how capable of a lawyer he was and how he could have used his power for good, essentially. Yeah. And that we talked, Kim talked about it all the time throughout the show. Jimmy loved to cut corners. If he had just done the job the way it was, maybe not so... Maybe not supposed to be done because Jimmy was just incapable of doing that too. But like if he had just kept his kept his head down and really focused on staying on a somewhat straight and narrow path, who knows what could have come of it, you know? But he 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 wanted to help out the criminals in a way that he knew knew how to, and that was by being a criminal and and bending the law a little bit. Well, it's all about the game for him and the game and the gain, right? It's about yeah. making that money. And he knows he could, he's tried making money by doing the straight and narrow and that ain't working. So he knows he can make money, but it's also, it's more the degree of difficulty, right? Like you have so many more hoops to jump through when these guys are clearly guilty. And that's just a fun challenge. And you could tell he enjoys the challenge, which is why... I think he just doesn't feel challenged in the gene world. And I think that's part of why he gets himself caught because he just doesn't feel challenged. He's just bored. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that played a lot in it too. And um, it was just, it's such a, like it really physically bothered me when Walt said, you're the last lawyer I would have called. Cause I'm just like, you have no idea who you're even talking to. You know, (laughs) like he would have been so perfect. You know, that Walt was a real shithead. He underestimated pretty much everybody in his life because he was always the smartest man in the room. And it just, it it was great. What a perfect callback to him because, you know, they, they showed Walt and Jesse a couple times throughout the final season and, you know, it wasn't, I don't think, quite what people might have expected out of those appearances. I thought they did them well for the most part. Uh, And, you know, Aaron Paul has aged significantly since his days as Jesse Pinkman. And that's just life where he started this, you know, when he just looked a lot younger and he was a lot skittier and just like, he's a bulkier guy. Now that's just what happens to the human body. But Brian Cranston is almost the same exact guy. And I thought of the three, you know, so what are the appearances? It's the, uh, it was the RV in the the RV. Then it was outside. Yeah. With the cigarette with Kim. Yeah. And then it was Walt in the in the vacuum repair basement yeah. with Jimmy. So I think of those three, I think that was the best use of the those guys coming back. I agree. Yeah. I mean, Walt just plays it so well. And I just to to mention, like they God, Brian Cranston does such a good job. Like the fact that the accuracy that he played Walt in that exact timeline was perfect because like Specifically at that time in the Breaking Bad era or the Breaking Bad timeline, that's when Walt was at his peak ego, like arrogant, you know, and he played just like that in that really short, like five minute scene um, in Better Call Saul. And like when Walt, Walt always had an ego, but like in the early episodes, he was very much as he was more scared and more cautious and more he, he, he wasn't what he was towards the end of Breaking Bad. At the end of the same, I name Heisenberg. Yes, he became like 
it was like he thought he was God's gift at the end of the series. And he acted that way when he was talking to Jimmy uh, down in the basement. And it, it, like just the acting from Brian Cranston was so good. And the, I love that they made him act that way and not like some other earlier version of uh, Walter White. Right. Well, and they, that was something they were very cognizant of because I listen. So again, going back to the Insider podcast, uh, Tom Schnauz was talking about he directed the episode where Walt and Jesse were in the RV with Jimmy yeah. or Saul at the time. And he was saying that, you know, he'd have to correct Cranston sometimes because he'd be reading lines to Heisenberg. He'd be like, no, 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 you're you're Walt at this. Yeah. point. You're not full Heisenberg. So you got to dial it back slightly. Like, OK, OK. I love that. Yeah. I'm glad that they that they put that much emphasis into that because it, it just made it feel more authentic, you know? For sure. And, and that's the care and quality that have made this the greatest prequel work of anything ever. Yeah. Uh, prequels are, as we've seen with Star Wars, difficult business. And they're very, very hard to pull off properly. And this might be the first good prequel, to be totally honest. It might be <laughs> yeah. the first good one. It's an unbelievable job, and the callbacks have all been great. And I was thinking just on the prequel note, because we see both of these guys die later down the line, but they kind of just disappear off of Better Call Saul. And that would be Gus Fring and Mike Ehrmantraut. And, mm -hmm. you know, Gus is one thing because we, we know Gus would continue his story. And I, I thought, you know, we'll talk about Lalo in a bit, but the last time we saw Gus, you know, he basically had the chance to embrace a pleasant life with the wine bar sommelier. And uh, he just decides to continue to walk his lonely vengeance filled road. And, well, you know, to talk about Lalo now, I mean, like Lalo's downfall ended up being his obsession with Gus Fring and bringing Gus down his way. And Gus's downfall would be his obsession with bringing down Hector Salamanca, or as people like to think of him, Uncle Tio, Uncle Uncle, ding, ding, yeah. ding, ding, ding. And, you know, both of those guys are too similar in the fact that they both had chances to finish off these guys that they hated and they paid for it by playing with their food. Yeah, I can't really, I can't think of any other better explanation than that. I mean, the whole Salamanca thing, it was all very, I don't know, what's the, what's the right word for it? it You're not I, thinking I, shoehorned, right? Because like, you could <laughs> almost yeah. say that, but like, it, it, it's, it's interesting because it, it certainly adds a compelling action element to the show that, you know, I think really compelled it for a bit. Uh, I'm glad that they dropped that for the ending because it would not have been... I, I really think you can't have a more appropriate final few episodes than what they did. But I'm sure the temptation was there to just keep the pedal to the metal and, like, those friggin' nacho episodes where he's having shootouts with the cousins in the oh, hotel yeah. parking lot, you know? Yeah, crazy. And, like, I just remember, I don't know, like, I do wish I had a couple more answers about the, the cartel stuff. Um, but at the same time, like... You know, when Lalo goes down, it's it's Gus's show from that point on. So there's really no reason to continue that storyline. Yeah. It just felt like he kind of disappeared. But at the same time, it is an appropriate series exit for him. I guess I, I feel OK with Gus's goodbye. But Mike is a little bit. I don't know. I, I feel like I needed like one more Mike Jimmy scene out there or something. And I guess that's what they were trying to accomplish with that, like, flashback to them in the desert together. But still, I was like, man, I, I just wish I had one more, you know, maybe him and Jimmy met up somewhere to, like, quote unquote, debrief or, or something like that. I don't know. Um, but it would have been nice to see Mike during, like, the main timeline one more time. 
Yeah, um, or like one more Mike and Saul scene or something. Like I yeah. know he's you know pretty much just working for him at that point, but just one more thing. And the only reason I think that is just because for a bit Mike really was the co-lead of this show. He really was the number two. I mean, this show for a few weeks really felt like what will Mike's next elaborate scheme be to trip up the cartel or something? Right. Like, I always think of the one where he has the hose with the nails that he pulls out of nowhere and takes out the tires on the truck, which is still amazing. Yeah. And he had his granddaughter do it. Oh, so good. <laughs> it was great. Uh, We're going like to do arts and crafts, Kaylee. Yeah. <laughs> Kaylee, come here. Come here. But yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's so many things about the show um, that were just magical. The whole universe as a whole. And I do want to say, of the entire series, I've, I've over the last like 15 minutes, I've been trying to figure out what it would be. I think I've decided that my favorite moment, or I guess uh, portion of the entire series was when Jimmy was at Davison, Maine, and him just kind of like figuring out, this is most people's dream job. Like, I have a car. I have a house that they're paying for. My company's paying for this. I got a Coca-Cola desk. Got a Coca-Cola desk. Um, And then he (laughs) just starts acting like such an asshole. Um, And then he starts bringing out the colorful suits and he starts, you know, the juicer machine and, and, um, you know, playing the bagpipes in the office and not (laughs) flushing the toilet. And it was just so, I love that entire scene um, where he was just pissing off Cliff Main. Um, and it was, yeah, that that's always going to be one of my favorite things from the series. But, I mean, that was a more lighthearted point. Well, it, it, it is and it isn't, because I was actually just thinking about how that ties into his behavior later when Howard offers him the job, because it's very yeah. similar behavior, where he gets a chance at success. He has a chance at being a professional, legitimate lawyer, and he just throws it away he says fuck no i'm not doing that he yeah. has every opportunity to be a legitimate guy and he wants to either do it with kim do it on his own and ultimately he does it on his own and he has a very successful life but not a legitimate practice by any means you know as jesse pinkman says he is a criminal lawyer yeah yeah and it, it that like that's just what makes me feel worse for Chuck or uh, excuse me for Howard at the end because Howard did legitimately want him. He even told Jimmy like it wasn't like I wanted you uh, or maybe he told Kim this. It was it was Chuck that didn't want him to be part of HHM. And so like that just makes it all worse. Like I can't wait to go back and watch the whole series all over again from start to finish um, because I think I'll just get such a more colorful, clearer picture of everything. But it's crazy to think where this final season went to, because I, I rewatched everything leading into the season and it flowed so well this time around. But to think about where this season started and where it ended is kind of absurd where it starts with Nacho on the run after the raid on Lalo's compound, I guess you have to call it because it's yeah. not just a house. It's a whole freaking compound. It's a King's castle. And then, going into the season when we did our podcast a couple months ago our our concerns were what's going to happen to nacho what's going to happen with lalo and gus and what's maybe gene's ultimate fate right because at that point we didn't know what was going on with gene we didn't know what (laughs) who who was his goofball buddy's friend that he was like using over there carol burnett's son oh uh pete I don't think it was Pete. 
I, I can't remember. Pete. Yeah, I I'm can't gonna look it up. Name. Okay, Pat Healy, uh, guy who was recast just before the season because the original actor could not make it. But I gotta say, the new guy did well. Well, so the new guy, what I thought was so interesting about that was the first guy had this real menacing look. Yeah. He was actually a guy that made me concerned for for Gene's well-being. And then this guy was such a goofball. And it, Jeff was his name. Jeff, that's right. So Jeff, but Jeff was great for where they went in this final season. Because I don't know if the original Jeff really could have pulled off like... <laughs> the scene where they're robbing the the department store after hours and running around and reciting that poem about getting like uh, two sneakers for me. Yeah, like I can't imagine the original guy doing that. And it's just like, it's, I don't know. And I guess it's perhaps recency bias. Like we actually did see, uh, what what's the new actor's name? Pat Healy. Pat I don't Healy. remember like, what the original actor's name is, but I know Pat Healy at this point. Yeah, like- we actually saw him do it. So of course we would think, oh, I can't see the other guy doing it. But also like now when I look at Jeff, I think of him as Pat Healy now because thankfully when we saw Jeff before, we saw him for what? A grand total of like 45 seconds. We saw him. Well, so there's two scenes. It's the cab and then the mall where he confronts it with the mall saying, you're the guy, right? And it almost works if you again i i'm i've been getting better at justifying these kind of things in my head where you think about okay the first time that's just Saul's bias of seeing a more menacing guy and then he realizes okay this is just a mark this is somebody i can play with and my god that guy was so friggin' funny when he slips and falls during <laughs> the uh department store robbery which was an amazing scene where yeah. you're watching jerry gergich from parks and recreation a security guard just housing cinnamon buns and talking about college football and <laughs> gene basically going how about that local sports team and this guy slips and falls and might have given himself a concussion and gene has to just break down and cry to keep jerry gergich from looking around oh it's so good and then when fucking Jeff crashed his taxi cab because oh the God. cops were parked behind him. That was the hardest I laughed all season. I laughed pretty hard at times. Like the two funniest moments are when Jeff crashes the goddamn taxi cab, which is hysterical. When his look, when those cops come up and like, what did you do? It's so good. I was and like, I was, I was like, what do you do? Like, why did he do that? He was just he's like, he's a doofus. Yeah. He's, he's a just bozo. <laughs> And that's why Jimmy slash Gene really knows he can use him because he's just like a guy who thinks he's a big time gangster and he's just goofy ass Jeff. I I laughed really hard at that. And then the other thing I laughed really hard at was when they were framing Howard for being a cokehead and they stole his (laughs) car and Jimmy got the spray tan and the suit and the hair and everything. Oh, my God. I, I almost pissed myself laughing. It was so good. And when he was, like, putting that parking sign back in the hole in the ground and, like, you know, he's he's running around outside the site, um, the, uh, the, the therapy center. The yeah, psychiatrist, yeah. yeah. Um, it, like, that whole thing was hilarious. There, there Who doesn't was... respect a cone? <laughs> yeah, really. That sounds like something from Seinfeld. But it does. It does sound like something from Seinfeld. It probably is from Seinfeld at some point. Yeah. I mean, city city parking and cones, they, they go hand in hand as somebody who lives in the heart of South Philly. I can tell yeah. you that. But, you know, it's just those were such funny moments. And I'm going to miss the humor from the show. This, you know, 
it had humor all over the spectrum and they had such great talented comic actors involved i mean bob odenkirk known primarily as a comedic actor before this and then since he started this he's done an action movie which i'm still stunned that he did and he was he kicks some ass in it and he's really just an what an incredible performance throughout from odenkirk i i didn't I still can't believe that we've watched Bob Odenkirk have one of the best dramatic performances over the I last know. few years. Yeah. I, I So I didn't know this yesterday. He still hasn't won an Emmy for being for Better Call Saul, which yeah. is crazy to me. I Like he and Kim both need to, or uh, Ray Seahorn, they both need to win um, Emmys for this. I, mean, I want them to sweep. I want Jonathan Banks to win one at last. Like I can't believe Jonathan Banks hasn't won one. Jonathan Banks should have won one from the first season when they did the Mike episode. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. The acting in that one, like, you know, I just, it's just cause I love Jonathan Banks, like a grandfather, you know, like he just seems like such a kind soul and yeah. everything. And so just one other character I wanted to look back at at this point, uh, because he was such a major part of it. And again, a guy I was very skeptical was going to work like he did is Nacho Varga. And you kind of forget about Nacho, which is crazy. After it's, these yeah. last few episodes with Jeff and everything, but Nacho died at the beginning of the season, taking his own life. And, you know, Nacho is fascinating because he's a character I didn't really think was going to work. And, you know, you just kind of thought of him as like a crazy eight replacement or something like that. And he ended up being one of the, you know, one of the hearts and soul of this show. You really felt for Nacho. He had one of the most compelling stories. And he actually made me respect Gus Fring less because, the way that Gus hung him out to dry and wouldn't let Mike do anything to help him, I thought was so despicable. It was one of the worst things Gus actually did in the entire Breaking Bad universe. And he said some, he cut a man's knife. He cut a man's yeah. neck with a box cutter. <laughs> People tend to easily forget that. He was a mighty, mighty bastard at the end of the day. No, he was a huge bastard. And I mean, to see him leave Nacho out to dry like that and then... I mean, is that Mike's last scene on the show, really, besides the scene with uh, with Saul is the or I guess Jimmy in that scene where he's uh, they do the flashback to the desert. But is uh, Mike's last like, I guess not last scene, but one of Mike's last scenes is him talking to Nacho's father and Nacho's father basically calling him out for yeah. being as bad as everybody else. I think that was because like I'm trying to look back. I'm trying to figure out if that happened before or after um, when they had Kim and uh, Gus's house um, or stronghold. Really, it's more of a stronghold than house. It's a whole neighborhood. Yeah. He like has all these like underground tunnels. It's crazy. That might have been it. And you know what? Like I'm kind of happy if that was his last scene. I'm kind of happy that was it because it kind of paints a picture of what was to come later on, you know? Oh, sure. And man, and Mike's death is still one of the most like bittersweet endings for anybody because it's a, a great death. Cause he tells Walter to fuck off and yeah. shut up. But the way he went out just sucks because he was such a, a great character and such a strong character throughout. And you, you feel for him, you feel for him. But again, he went out with the, the fills on top. He hadn't seen him lose the Yankees. A rod hit a home run off a camera. Shouldn't <laughs> have counted. I'm not bitter still, but whatever <laughs> from, I just remember um, from the very first appearance of Mike in breaking bad after the Jane situation, he comes in he just says, you woke up 
you found her. That's all you know. And like from that moment, I just got huge vibes of the wolf from Pulp Fiction, who I always yeah. loved. And like he's just so he's he's just so smart and so wise and so detailed about everything. Um, he reminds me a little bit of <laughs> he reminds me a little bit of my mom in a way because he's like <laughs> my mom is always like attention to detail, Ryan, and so she's just like you would think she just wears you know. She's got like a magnifying glass all the time. And Mike was so, he was just so good at cleaning up anything. Um, and that's why he was so perfect for Gus. And of, I just hate that of all the people to kill Mike, it was fucking Walt. Like, Walter. Fucking. <sighs> Goodbye, Walter. Goodbye. That was a good one. Oh, Goodbye, I like Walter. <laughs> but yeah, Mike rocks. You know People are going to say, you know, people are going to say a lot about now we need a, a spinoff of, of Gus. I was going to ask, who who would you want to be if there was going to be a spinoff? And I think there probably shouldn't be any. I think this should be it for the break. Yeah, I universe. agree. I think this is to you, you pushed your luck with one perfect spinoff. You're not going to get three. Yeah, and they no. could. If anybody could, it's Vince Gillian. But I, I have my doubts. But I hear a lot about Gus. Is there anybody you'd want to be a spinoff? There is, and I'm glad you asked this question, Steve. Uh, there's only one person. It's got to be uh, it's got to be Daniel Wormold. Price. <laughs> I lost my baseball cards. <laughs> so is Derek Jeter still in there? In his giant yellow Humvee. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he says it looks like uh, what? What did he call it? Um, Nacho call, called it like a. Uh, like a toy car for for little pimps or something like that, like something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that yeah, that guy. I I was always curious. I wonder what that fucking guy's up to. I can't remember. Did he? I think he went by Price. I think it was Price. Yeah. No, I think I think it was. I always think of him as the the energy vampire from what we do in the shadows. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it's always primarily when I see that that shining face right there. That's what I think of. But no, that's that's a great option right there. I don't know if I would want a Gus spinoff. I kind of go back and forth because obviously I love Giancarlo Esposito, right? But yeah. like, I when is there too much and also, just the fact that, like, uh, I don't know. You can't really de-age him too much at this point. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to see somebody else play the young version of this character. I don't want to see a young Sheldon version of Gus Yeah, that here. would be weird. Yeah. And I, yeah. I'm I'm glad we agree on that. I saw a uh, interview with um, Vince Gilligan about this exact topic, and he basically said, like, listen this is going to be the end of the Breaking Bad universe. And the reason why is because like you always want to leave the party at the right time. You don't want to be the last one at the party and have a lampshade on your head. You know what I mean? Um, and so that's what I feel like would happen if they try to Gus spinoff. And as much as I would love to see it, because I still have so many questions about Gus. Oh, he's the most mysterious character by a mile at this point. Yeah. Um, like there's so many things that I would like answered, but I, I guess it's just one of those things where, um, they're going to leave it up to the audience to kind of form their own conclusions on who he is and more, just more about his life. Um, because boy, if there was a spinoff on him, that would be really, really interesting. It could be great, but 
again, do you want to risk it? And also, it'd be such a different show yeah. because you can't do everything in Albuquerque and Mexico, like those areas, because Gus has his foundations in Chile. And I'm sure you could make Albuquerque look like Chile. I've never really been to Chile, I can't say. But it's just a whole different vibe entirely. And that's something that, you know, what's the... The, the old saying in comic books, right, is, uh, or not saying, but in, in comics for years, Wolverine was the most popular character because he is the most mysterious character. And then a few years ago, they really started just telling you every fucking thing about Wolverine's life. And he's been way less interesting of a character ever since. And I feel like the same thing would happen with Gus Fring, where you start to peel away and... I don't think you're really going to like him any more than you did before where, I mean, Hey, they did it with Saul. They made Saul into one of the most compelling television characters I've ever seen, but I don't know. I just, I have my doubts about this working. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, to a degree, Mike too, like in breaking bad, I thought Mike was just kind of like this big party pooper guy um, who just came and just rained on Walt's parade and was, you know, he was just always there to, um, he just made things more difficult but knowing what I know about Mike now, he's one of my favorite characters ever um, in any TV show. And he was so, just so, so good at, um, I don't know, like he was just so calculated and every every little move he made, there was a reason behind it. And um, it would be cool to see like, you know, maybe perhaps a spinoff during his time as a cop in Philly. But like, again, like I totally agree. I, I would prefer that there would be no more spinoffs. I think this is a great place to leave the show um, and the whole universe. And I'm just excited to see what they end up doing next. I think Mike, they've said just enough about that character. I don't think I need to know anymore. And yeah. he actually had a great moment also in the, all the flashbacks were great in the finale, all of them. And when, he answers Jimmy's time machine question and his first instinct is clearly the date that his son was killed. And that's his first instinct. But then he decides, no, I'm going to go further back. And he decides it's when he took his first bribe. And that really tells you everything you need to know about Mike right there. And they really filled in. I think they colored in the character just enough. I love what I've you know learned about him. And Mike is just a, a tremendous character. I thought about it, though, and there's only one answer for the spinoff. I want Badger and Skinny Pete. <laughs> That'd be awesome. The That'd continuing really adventures good. of Badger and Skinny Pete would just be tremendous. Just laughs all around. <laughs> that would be a legit wrong? comedy show. It'd be great. I would watch it. You just oh. Badger's high thoughts on Star Trek. I used to hate Badger. A really? Lot. Oh, my God. Like, during... Um, after I think I'd watched like Breaking Bad two times through and I thought he was the most annoying character. Um, and like, I wasn't a huge, I didn't hate skinny P, but like I wasn't a huge fan of him either. Skinny P can play the piano like a prince. Yes, he can. What if uh, that? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, but like at this point it took like two, it takes me a little longer to like fully absorb shows um, then I think some, like some people can just get it all immediately. Um, and I like to really soak in it and I'll watch like the same series. Like I've watched Breaking Bad like seven or eight times from start to finish because I'm a, an animal. Um, and I, I just love it. And I was one of those people who in the, like my first two times watching Breaking Bad, I absolutely hated 
Skylar White so much. And, That's I a just, pretty common opinion right there. A lot of people really hate Skylar. It is. But because my whole ideology was like, she's just, he's trying to save the family and he's doing this for the family and she's trying to like ruin it, blah, blah, blah. But look at it from her perspective. Like, he, what would you do if your significant other, significant other was like, hey, I'm a drug dealer and great possibility we could all die at any moment. Someone could just come in and kill all of us. I'd oh, yeah. No, she should have left his ass. Yeah. <laughs> and like now Skylar White is one of my favorite characters in, ever. You know, like I went from hating her to absolutely adoring her. And like I still look back at the season. Um, what was the name of the episode when uh, Hank dies? Ozymandias. Ozymandias. Yeah, I always forget how that's pronounced. I always look back at that episode and when her and Walt Jr. are coming home and she had just told Walt Jr. everything and they see the truck that Walt took from like that farmer um, out in the driveway. They're like, who's that? And he's like, get your bags, get your bags. They come inside. He admits that he that he didn't kill Hank, but he knew that Hank was dead and that basically a lot of bad shit was going down. And I, I always get so pumped up when Skylar grabs a knife and she's just like, get out. <laughs> yeah, it, oh yeah. yeah. It's so good. And then she starts fighting and I'm like, hell yeah, Skylar. And Walt Jr. fights back. It was awesome. I mean, man, th- that episode, uh, it's it's so good. That's the pinnacle of TV right there. It's a hell of an episode right there. And uh, I- I'm glad they were able to put something in the same ballpark as those episodes, as the greatest episodes of Breaking Bad the past couple of years of Better Call Saul. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all really solid, but I feel like it just clicked in the past two seasons where it's just been just knockout after knockout after knockout punch. Just, just unbelievable television making right here. And yeah. one of the questions I had asked on our previous podcast that we had done on Better Call Saul was like, who else could have played Saul Goodman? And... I tried to think about this and I found some names, but like nothing. I don't know if anybody could have made this work like Bob Odenkirk. Just a what what a performance. And again, the amazing thing of putting heart and soul into a character who was as like one dimensional as possible his first time around. Yeah. Now I'm thinking I'm trying to figure out who would be a good lawyer. So I, I, a few names I, I thought about, like uh, Henry Winkler was my first thought, and that's mainly because he played Barry Zuckercorn on Arrested Development, and who is in the Saul Goodman vein, but he's a terrible lawyer. And the, the line on Arrested Development is they always go, Barry's very good, yeah. and he's not. Barry was far from the best. But, you know, Henry Winkler, I think, is one of those guys who can be warm and inviting, as we've seen on Barry, but also have this dark side. So I think Henry Winkler, in like... His prime probably could have pulled this off or, you know, maybe when he was like 40, 45, something like that. Uh, and then, like, I thought Paul F. Tompkins would have been funny as a, a one-off lawyer. But, you know, he's also a guy from Mr. Show. So I'm just thinking about Mr. Show people at that point. And then most of my best answers were character actors. Like, I thought Paul Giamatti is one of those guys who can be very funny, but also, you know, obviously a great dramatic actor right there. William H. Macy, the same thing. I mean, he's been, he did Shameless for like 65 years over there. Yeah. But back once upon a time, William H. Macy was a very respected character actor and basically the premiere, that guy in movies. You're like, oh, it's that guy. I like him. <laughs> I think, so two people come to my mind immediately. 
Well, the first one, maybe not. Now that I'm thinking more about it, I was going to say Michael Madsen, possibly. I don't know if I, I can just I'm thinking of like the sleaziest, <laughs> like people who play like sleazy characters and other um, shows or movies. And Michael Madsen, I know from, you know, Kill Bill and um, some other and a Hateful Eight. Um, I could see him being like some sort of sneaky, sleazy lawyer. Um, and then also Alec Baldwin. Oh, back in his day, Alec Baldwin could have pulled it off because Baldwin can be very funny and also yeah. be a great dramatic actor. Yeah, he's very he's very good at at you know kind of taking hitting both notes. But the question about him and Madsen is like, are these guys who would have let themselves be seen in unflattering lights like Odenkirk has? Because <laughs> yeah, because it's so impactful when you see. Saul with his comb over and when you see him wake up in that bed and half his hair is hanging off which is I think why I mainly think about character actors I mean one of the other guys I have on my list here is I have Walton Goggins who uh, clearly would be more of a southern charmer with that accent but this guy I think Walton Goggins one of the best character actors working oh he would have been good absolutely tremendous on Justified he's uh, amazing on the Righteous Gemstones if you haven't seen that hateful eight uh, hateful eight great on the hateful eight and he's one of those guys who i think could balance the the acting chops well but is he really a guy who fits in albuquerque and i think that's why jimmy slash saul works so well because he's a guy you could see in the albuquerque area because so many people in the southwest are these people from all over the country who have ended up there because you've seen this big boom as far as people actually living there in the past like 15 20 years right oh dude i know who would have been a perfect saul Gary Busey. Gary Busey? <laughs> That's too unhinged. Gary Busey, baby. Oh, too unhinged. <laughs> I saw, I watched the other day because I, I haven't watched Prey yet, but I, I intend to do it soon because uh, I do love the original. So I watched the original Predator and I'd never actually seen Predator 2 until, I think I just watched this on Monday. And I never realized that Predator 2 is an absolutely unhinged movie that features both Gary Busey and Bill Paxton. Oh my. Who are two kings of unhinged acting right there. Yeah. Yeah. Bill Paxton, actually, back in his uh, heyday, I think could have maybe pulled off something like this. But I, I, you know, I got a couple other names on here. Like, uh, I like Jason Schwartzman. I think he's got some good balance, something like that. Maybe Will Arnett. I don't know if Will Arnett could pull pull off the dramatic part, but I do like him for the comedic part. And then, like, you know, Emily had thrown out, like, Bobby Cannavale, who I like a lot. But at the end of the day, I just don't think anybody can pull this off with the balance that Bob Odenkirk did. I mean, he just gave everything everything this four-dimensional performance that i'm still stunned by and i i can't believe he hasn't won an award yet for it and if him and ray seahorn don't win emmys this year we riot big time yeah yeah i think i'll lose my mind man i i need i I, i'm really pulling for rave just because she's like from virginia and everything and i know that's not not that big a deal, but like she's from Richmond. She's like, she's talked about being in Richmond a lot. And I'm just like, Hey, I fucking live there. So, um, that'd be cool. <laughs> you got two cool. Virginians you're rooting for right there. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, well, the thing with Vince Gilligan is like, he's already won a bunch. So like, and I'm sure he'll win it again, but, um, yeah. Yeah. But Vince Gilligan just seems like a great guy. I like to see him win stuff. And yeah, he seems I, great. 
And for me, I mean, I'm just such a big comedy nerd and Bob Odenkirk has worked on so many great comedic works that I love. I'm a huge Mr. Show fan. He did some great stuff with SNL back in the day. I mean, he specifically, you know, if you've ever laughed at, I live in a van down by the river, (laughs) Matt Foley, that's a Bob Odenkirk sketch right there. That's something he wrote with Chris Farley. So, you know, he's one of those great comedic minds that I didn't know had this dimension to him. And man, I just love that he has that. And I love that he's crushing it and doing this so well. And, you know, I just want him to win, to get that recognition for this killer performance that he has uh, put forth over the past few years. So, okay. So just, I was curious and I just like typed in sleazy looking actors (laughs) (laughs) to see who else could have potentially played Saul. And two people came up. And one of one of them I actually really love in Steve Buscemi because I just love him as a person. Oh, Steve and Buscemi's fantastic. He's so yeah. versatile. He could he could play any role. Um, it would be a little tough making him look <laughs> young though. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. <laughs> Steve. When Buscemi. I think about him looking young, I think about the Thirty Rock bit where he's got the skateboard and the backwards hat and the hoodie, and he says, "Hello, fellow young people." Yeah, I know it's great. Um, and then Christopher McDonald, aka. Shooter McGavin. Shooter McGavin. Okay. Christopher McDonald way back in the day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He's, I think he's a little too goofy, though, to play. Like, he wouldn't know. be no, serious enough, I don't think. I think he's actually been, for the most part in his career, a serious actor. I think he's just goofy for Shooter McGavin. Yeah. I guess that's that's the only movie I've really seen from him, is just like Shooter McGavin. So, like he was Mr. really Deeds. good on the HBO Max series Hacks uh, that's been out the past couple years. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. He doesn't, he's not like a featured player, but he's a, he's a pretty regular character. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's a great actor. I I think there's a lot of people who could have pulled it off, but I'm glad Bob Odenkirk was the guy to do it. I think he's just an awesome talent and I've been happy to see it. So my question for you, my final question, Ryan, before we wrap this up is essentially like, what are you going to miss most about this show as we see it uh, go off the air? I'm the first thing that came to mind is just like seeing I'm going to miss every week tuning in and thinking what's going to happen with Kim and Jimmy because they were so perfect together. The chemistry was unbelievable that I mean, (laughs) it was it was incredible. And I'm really going to miss seeing them acting together because the chemistry they had was great. And just the two characters they played were all time characters. And I'm just going to miss seeing them a lot. Like Gus, I, I accepted losing Gus when he died, when he got his face blown off in Breaking Bad, you know? Um, so like I already kind of went through like the mourning process of Gus and Mike. Um, losing Jimmy and Kim is really, really sad. And I got to admit, in that last, that last shot of her walking away out of, the, out of the prison and she looks at him and then, and she's like, you know, watching him as she's walking away and the wall just kind of like covers up Jimmy. I, I cried. Like it, it, let me say this. It doesn't, it's very easy for me to cry in any movie. Like (laughs) I I cry, I cry at the end of home alone. Um, but I sort of, (laughs) dude, it's the music. He made front the old man reunited with his son. When the pigeon lady like sees the turtle doves, Oh man, dude, I'm telling you, I, it's the waterworks. It gets going. But when, when the Polka King 
reunites Catherine O'Hara with her son. Yes. Polka, polka, polka. Dude, when she comes in the house and she sees, and he like comes downstairs, he's like, mom. And he, they look at each other from across like the hallway and they hug and embrace. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. But, um, yeah, man, I cried at the end of the, uh, the finale just for a bunch of reasons. Like it was the end of such a beautiful universe. Um, and two of my favorite characters ever are pretty much done. And that really breaks my heart a lot. But I'm happy that it ended the way it did. And I thought it was beautifully portrayed. Absolutely beautifully portrayed. And I'm glad they went out the way they wanted to. And it's beautiful cinematography. And I think that's what I'm going to miss the most is I I really hope these guys get out and do another show soon. Because that's what makes this so unique is they bring this film style, this unique storytelling style to television in a way that nobody else does. I mean, what they talk about on the Insider Podcast a lot is like people come to them and say, uh, give us the Breaking Bad look. And then they start filming stuff with wide lenses and the characters are itty bitty because they're just getting the full landscape in there. And they're like, what is this? I want the close-ups. And like, well, the Breaking Bad style is you have the full scene and it's about the cinematography and the settings and every like it's all that stuff. It's just such they're beautiful television shows. And that's what I'm going to miss. I, I really think the way they film these things is so thrilling and beautiful and there's no other there it, television. We've never had better cameras and people are putting yeah. out great stuff, but nobody films shit like Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould and the entire crew. They're just unbelievable. The fact that they pulled out the black and white look for the past few episodes in 2022, they delivered multiple episodes of majority black and white television and it was compelling and fantastic. And I couldn't look away. That's an accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. And like one thing, speaking of like the black and white, like I want to know what kind of suit Jimmy slash Saul was wearing when he was going into that last courtroom hearing because the drip on him. I think it was purple and gold because I saw some I saw some behind the scenes uh, photos. It, oh, you did. OK, yeah. it, it just like you that suit has to look so good to look that good in black and white. And I was like, damn. Damn, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a purple suit with a yellow shirt and like a polka dot tie. Of course. Of it's course. funny because because like in color, I'd probably think, wow, that's a ridiculous suit. But like in black and white, boy, did it look fucking great. Oh, it looked it looked fantastic. And they were so cognizant of those kind of decisions about, you know, how this stuff would look in black and white. The fact that you can make him look you know, look down and out at her regular ass life in Florida and then have a power look at the end there and just everything, every decision they made. And we haven't even talked about the fact that Carol Burnett was fucking there at the end yeah. and was great. And I thought for a minute that Bob Odenkirk oh, dude, was going to murder Carol How did we not Burnett talk about that? Yeah. With a phone wire because there's a million things to talk about and it's been an hour and a half already. Dude, I was scared for my, like, that's the first time watching Breaking Bad where I was like scared of Jimmy. I was like, or Gene, Saul, whoever. Like, I was watching that scene. That character has never actually done this stuff himself. He's yeah. never actually been the perpetrator of violence. He's just been the facilitator. So to see him actually... There were two times in that episode because Emily was actually worried that he was going to smash 
the guy with cancer that they were scamming over the head with his dog's ashes in an urn. <laughs> yeah. Which is dark. And then <laughs> you're legitimately thinking, like, this is the chance. This is the time where he's actually going to... This is it. He's actually going to hurt somebody. And it's an old woman, somebody that he specifically spent his life as a lawyer defending and trying to empower, trying to help the elderly. And Carol Burnett of all people, Carol freaking Burnett. (laughs) And I I thought he was going to do it. I really did. And then he backs off because he just doesn't have it in him ultimately. And then she calls the cops and that's that. Yeah. That was a truly terrifying scene. I was watching, like I got chills watching that. That was wild. I'm proud of Jimmy. I'm proud of Jimmy for becoming, you know, at the end of the day, this wasn't, everyone was trying to figure out, oh, is Jimmy going to die? Like, you know, is Kim going to die? Someone died. It was Saul who died. And Jimmy killed Saul. Yeah, that's absolutely true. <sighs> well, I guess that's that. I know it's a, I could talk about this show forever. I really I could. could. Too. I, yeah. I, I loved it. Maybe we'll do something down the line. Maybe we'll do some rewatch at some point. But uh, that's it for now. And we're going to say goodbye. But, you know, if you did happen to listen to this and take a break from listening to uh, Bleak Hockey Podcast, we do appreciate <laughs> it very yeah. much. Please listen to more of this because then this gives us more excuses to talk about not the Flyers. Yes, absolutely. I'll take any opportunity to talk about television movies. I just, that's my obsession. I love TV and movies very much, but we do thank you for listening to this. Ryan, if people have any feedback for you on Twitter, where can they find you? On the Twitter, you can find me at Ryan Quiggs. Oh, wow. Wow. You can find me at Flyperbole or at Esteban. If it's for hockey, make it Flyperbole. If it's for anything else, make it Esteban. Follow BSH Radio, follow Broad Street Hockey for all your hockey needs. But, you know, you're not really here for the hockey stuff today. And uh, the flyer stinks, so whatever. But, folks, we thank you so much for listening. We truly appreciate you. And until next time, better call BSH. Wow. Wow, 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 wow